Vaclav Havel, I think that's how you pronounce the name, who was the first democratic elected president of Czechoslovakia, wrote these words or said these words at one point. I just carry hope in my heart. Life without hope is an empty, boring, and useless life. I cannot imagine that I could strive for something if I did not carry hope in me. I'm thankful to God for this gift. It is as big a gift as life itself. I just carry hope in my heart. Life without hope is an empty, boring, and useless life. I'll come back to that in a few moments. Let's ask this question. Have you ever been dared to do something? I mean, somebody really dared you. Maybe they double-dog dared you. Maybe you were dared to ask someone out in high school, go ahead, go ahead, ask them out, I dare you. Maybe you were like us in the lunchroom where you mixed all your food together on your tray and you said to somebody, go ahead, I dare you to eat it. And then about that time, the lunchroom monitor came by and saw your tray and you had to go ahead and eat it. I was in zoology class when I was in high school and you know how all the different languages would have foods day. Well, our zoology teacher decided to have a foods day, believe it or not, study of animals. And so we had things like chocolate-covered ants and something-covered grasshoppers and all this stuff, and there was a lot of daring and double-dog daring going on in that class at that time. So have you ever been dared to do something? And have you done it? Well, we've been offered a different kind of dare in this passage this morning. It's found in our scripture text, simply this, dare to hope. Dare to hope. And you think, well, that doesn't seem like a big dare compared to asking someone out or eating chocolate-covered ants or... Well, maybe it is. Maybe in our own present-day culture and society, with its fatalistic attitudes, with its cynicism, with its 24-7 news... Maybe the biggest dare that we could accept, the biggest challenge that we could accept is literally the dare to be a people of hope. This comes from this book, Lamentations. Now, maybe that's not a book you spend much time in. It's a book that comes right after Jeremiah, which actually makes a lot of sense. Because Jeremiah was a time in which the Israelites were in exile. Very simply, what had happened was they had been deported off from Jerusalem, taken to Babylon, their city completely pillaged and plundered. They had no more hometown to go back to. They had no more temple to go back to. Think about this. Everything that is your story, your life, has been completely wiped out and eliminated in a matter of time. You have no more hometown to go back to. You have no more family to go back to. You have no more job. You have no more identity. And you've been taking off to a much different land, a foreign land. This is where the Israelites were. And so you have this book, Jeremiah, which is followed up by this book called The Lamentations, which really is from the word lament. This was this book of people trying to make sense of their world in the midst of grief and sorrow and disappointment and sadness and chaos. 
I don't know about you, but there are times that I'm trying to make sense of my world amidst all of that. Maybe not all at once, but there have been moments and pockets of it. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and just try to make sense of life, as I said when I hear the news. Now, already this morning, I mean, I was 7 o'clock, and for some reason my phone, as they like to say, was just blowing up. I had two or three messages, emails, private messages. Pray for me. I'm going through this. I thought you might want to know the update on this. And then another person says, I just won't be there this morning. I'm just feeling blah. I can't be around people. So I haven't even hit 7.30. And already I'm processing this and trying my best to say, hope, hope, dare to hope. And praying that for these people. You know, lament, by the way, I think is so important. We've never really done well to lament in church, to express grief and sorrow. We know what to do when things are going well for people. We know how to be with them and be around them. We know how to help them. But we get nervous when people aren't having a good time or things aren't going well. We, we feel awkward. We want to try to fix it. We may offer well-meaning advice, but we just don't know how to lament well in church. Sometimes we don't know how to grieve. We don't know how to express sorrow. Maybe we grew up in that kind of atmosphere or that kind of climate which said, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Or maybe someone was said, ah, don't worry, it's going to get better, and really just invalidated what we feel. Maybe we didn't get anything, and we just figured we're on our own on this. But I've come to learn and I've come to experience that some of the most powerful moments of spiritual transformation is when we can lament within this place with each other. When we can say to one another at times, I just really am in a tough place. When we can say to each other, I really am hurting right now. When we can say to each other, I have a lot of questions about God and I can't answer them and I just need to share them and express them. I don't know why this happened. I have reason to think there's quite a few people thinking that right now in their life. It's a place where we can lament and grieve and sorrow and question and sometimes, yes, even doubt and express our anger. This is what Lamentations is all about. And I say all that to say it's such a book of the real human condition, but in the midst of all that, you have this little phrase that Tom read and we sang about, Great is thy faithfulness, but... Dare to hope in the midst of that. There's a translation called The Message, and I'm going to sure use this a couple times this morning. It translates this passage this way. He ground my face into gravel. He pounded me into the mud. I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. I'll never forget the trouble. The utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all, and oh well how I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. Sometimes we have to just name what we feel. We get frustrated. We feel God has forgotten us. We give up on faith, and sometimes we just hit bottom. But paradoxically, this can actually be our way back. This can actually be the the beginning of something different, something life-giving, if we dare to hope. That translation, 
the message goes on to read, but there's one thing I remember. And remembering, I keep a grip on hope. And most of the time, if not all the time, this spiritual journey is about keeping a grip on hope. It's about daring to hope, and we lose our grip. When we no longer dare, we get fatalistic. Nothing's ever going to change. This is as good as it's going to get. Or we become cynical and bitter about life, or we sleep, slip into some kind of deep despair, and we simply just give up. And so the writer of Lamentations is able to hope because he says, dare to hope because his life he knows is enveloped by the love and faithfulness of God, or as Barbara so well put it, by the heart of God. That gives life to God. It gives the sense that God isn't just some unmoved mover, some ground of being. God is this person that feels what we feel and knows what we know and has empathy for us and envelops us with love that is deep. The unfailing love of God never ends. And by his mercies we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every day. You know, when I read this, or when I contemplate this verse from Lamentations, I think of these things. We simply cannot use up God's love. There never is a drought of God's love. When we were out in California about three or four weeks ago, they have a bona fide drought. You cross the Los Angeles River, you might as well just call it the Los Angeles Forest. Trees and bushes and rocks. You can look at the reservoirs and see where the line was last month, and now it's below that line, and now it's below that line. It is a serious bona fide drought. There's a limited resource of this thing called water. And eventually, it's going to run out if something doesn't happen. But when it comes to God's love, there never is this drought. You never can use it up. It's always available. It's always around. There is enough to go around for all of us and every one of us. And it's only because of God's mercy that we probably haven't destroyed ourselves as individuals and as a world. As the writer says, his mercies has kept us from complete destruction. Maybe the only reason we haven't completely destroyed our lives is because out of God's mercy, God hasn't allowed it. Maybe the only reason I've made some wise decisions in my life or I've made some turnarounds or I've been kept from the brink of sabotaging things completely because in God's mercy, God has kept me from those places. I like to think maybe I got smart, and maybe I did, but maybe it was God's mercy that made me smart. See, in all of this, God's love and God's mercy surrounds us and envelops us. And each day, the writer says, we are given this fresh, fresh supply. A new supply is available every morning, every day. That's just the image he gives us. You don't get stale mercy, you get fresh mercy. You get new mercy for your human condition, for your own particular need. So because of this, this is what the writer says, dare to hope. And so maybe this is what I want to say to you this morning, what I say to myself. I dare you. I dare you to hope. I dare you as an individual, as one who walks this journey of faith, to hope. In fact, I dare you not to hope. I dare you as Deep River Friends to be a place of hope. 
We must hope. Because if we don't, we will succumb too easily to cynicism and fatalism. We'll end up believing that nothing will ever change. That things are just the way they are and nothing can be done about that. If we don't hope, that's what we will end up as. We must hope because if we don't, we give up our ability to seek solutions, to be creative, to exercise our imaginations for redemptive purposes for our world and for our lives. When we hope, literally when we hope, we open up our hearts and souls to possibility. And we begin to imagine, and we we begin to see how things can be different, and we can look for solutions when we dare to hope. And when we dare to hope, if we don't, we'll die before we die. Not a physical death, but an inward one in which our souls wither away and our energy is gone. I don't worry about that. I don't get scared about that. But one thing I am cautious about in my life is that I don't want to die before I die. I want to be fully alive. I want to be in that place of hope and creativity and energy and solutions which says God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and God's wisdom is much bigger and grander than I could ever imagine and it is so prevalent and so real and so here. Why would I not hope? Why would I choose anything else? And we must hope because we're the church and it is part of our calling. It is our mission. It is our one thing, if you will, to be God's voice of hope. The other day I was jotting down just some thoughts, I guess, a little journal that I carry around. And it just occurred to me that there are three things in life the human condition is looking for. Three things. And I know it sounds kind of corny, but I try to start everything with the same letter because it's just easy for me to remember anymore because I am 39. And... But I thought the human condition really is a longing and longing for three things in life. Hope, heart, and what was the third one? Hope, heart. You see, I knew I would forget this. I should have written it down. It'll come to me, but they're looking for at least two things. <laughs> they're looking for hope, and they're looking for heart. They're looking for passion. They're looking for energy. In hope, they're looking for that which will help them come alive and will help them feel alive and that they can add something and that they can wake up in the morning and their life just will not be this boring, wasting away of the years and the weeks and the months. Oh, I know what the third one is. See, I knew it would come. And it seems kind of superficial, but it's true. They're looking for happiness. Now, you say that seems kind of superficial. Well, it probably is because I think when people are looking for happiness, they're actually looking for really deep meaning and fulfillment. They just confuse it as happiness. But they're looking for joy. They're looking for a sense of joy which will infuse their life, which will help them get up in the morning, which will help carry them through the day, which will help carry them through the week. And that is what they're looking for. And believe me, friends, if we can tap into that first one, giving people a sense of hope, you will have their heart in a good way. Because this is what people, I think, ultimately long for. There's a pastor in California. His name is Erwin McManus. Here's what he has to say. We are God's voice of hope. Those who have known nothing but condemnation and shame will find a new beginning in Christ. And this should be one of the markers of a New Testament community. 
Yet even beyond being a voice of hope for the individual, the church should be a place of inspiration about the future. We are to be a voice of hope because we are a people of hope. A follower of Jesus Christ has no excuse for pessimism. Now, where did all this come from? Well, so oftentimes my messages don't come from in a vacuum. Where this came from for me was just simply surveying the landscape and realizing we got a lot of people struggling right now in our own faith community, in your families, church family, neighbors. And it affects us as a meeting, both in a good way and in a tough way. In a good way because we can be here for them. In a very tough way because we're so deeply connected relationship-wise What affects them affects us. And that's kind of how the body of Christ is to be. If one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part rejoices, we all rejoice. That's what Paul said. But yet, we are to be reminded we need to be people of hope in the midst of these tough seasons. And we can be. That's why the writer of Lamentations says, again, I dare you to hope, to have courage, to be those folks in the midst of this that know because of God's love and God's faithfulness, we step into it in the messiness of life and we live faithfully and we live hopefully because we can. And so I ask you this morning, at least in your own journey, where do you need to dare to hope? What situation, what context, what issue What chaotic place in your life right now do you simply need to dare to hope? And my invitation for me and for us is to step into this. Step into it with hope and faith and trust, knowing that God's mercy, as the hymn says, and God's faithfulness never fails. Let's just take a few moments and be mindful of that and see where maybe we're being invited to step into and dare to hope in our own life.